So today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, looking at just a couple verses, verses 18 through 20. And we're kind of continuing on in this uh, series that we've had for the last month and a half, uh, kind of talking about and asking the question, who is Jesus as far as the Bible uh, portrays Him? Who is the real Jesus? And then getting into what is real salvation? What does lordship salvation look like in particular when Jesus says He came not only to save, but to be our Lord and be the master of our life? We've looked at all of that. We've looked at the responses of those who choose to reject uh, Jesus and you know the two common responses. Uh, and then last week, uh, Brother Jared kind of, uh, kind of gave us a little break and uh, he preached on the temptation of Joseph and uh, so I want to thank him for doing that. He did a great job. And uh, now you get me again. And so we're going to jump back into kind of our series. And today we're going to ask the question, do you have the wrong guy? And what I mean by that is in this particular story, Jesus is going to be turning to his disciples and he's going to ask them the, uh, the most important question that each human being must answer in his or her lifetime before their time is up, and it is, who is Jesus? What do you believe about Him? And the answer you give there determines your eternity. Who do you say Jesus is? And the question is going to be, do you have the right or the wrong guy? And that's kind of how this series has gone, and we're going we're gonna to finish the series today here with this thought. But first, I want to give you a story I came across, thought it was kind of funny, and just a humorous look at uh, at when identity is mistaken. So a preacher was giving a sermon when he noticed two girls were passing notes and not paying attention. He wanted to correct them without embarrassing them, so he stopped preaching and he said, there are two people not paying attention to this message. If you will see me in my office after the service, I will be accepting your apology. And then he went on to preach. After the service, four deacons came to him in his office. So, Sometimes when you have a mistaken identity, there can be some consequences and that can be a real problem if you don't have the right uh, identity here. And I hate to see what happened to those four deacons who showed up in the office that day. How embarrassing. But, uh, you know, this story helps drive home the point that if you don't have the right identity uh, of an individual, you can uh, really get yourself in a lot of trouble. And today, the biggest question, like I said, that all of us must answer is, who is Jesus? Well, what do you believe about Jesus? And it's very crucial that you and I both have the right answer there. We must believe the right things about Jesus, or we don't believe in the right Jesus. And uh, if you don't believe in the right Jesus, then you aren't saved, and your destination, because of your rejection of the true Jesus, and because of your sin, uh, your destination for eternity will be in hell, separated from God for eternity. And none of us wants that. God doesn't even want that, as He says in 2 Peter 3.9. But it's a reality. We must repent and believe in the true Jesus of the Bible. And we must turn to Him as our Lord and Savior to be saved. So He's going to ask Him this question, but let's get into it. Luke chapter 9, verses 18-20. through 20. And it happened as Jesus was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, he asked the group, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? 
So they answered and said, John the Baptist, uh, some say Elijah, others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. It's kind of puzzling there. You may think, well, he asked the whole group and only Peter answers. Peter's kind of the uh, assumed leader of the group. He's the spokesman. He's the one that usually speaks up first. He's the boldest. And so he answers for him, says, well, you're the Christ, son of God. You're the Christ of God. But who do people say Jesus is? Jesus wasn't asking about the Pharisees. He wasn't asking about the leaders. He wasn't asking about the elite, the, the, uh, the elite people. He was asking the disciples, who do the everyday people out there, these crowds that are around us, who do these people in town say that I am? And then you give them, you know, give them these different answers. And he says, but who do you say that I am? You guys that have spent so much time with me. Who do people say Jesus is? What do people say about Jesus today? You know, it's interesting because you read something like this in Luke and you think about, uh, I think about responses I've heard when people try to give an answer of who Jesus is. I, I've studied other religious systems, uh, listened to other teachings from other people and other leaders, and, and then you just listen to our culture. Uh, there's a lot of different answers out there uh, as to who Jesus really is. And, and it's interesting because it's been over 2,000 years since this was talked about, and yet you still see some of the same answers. But you know, even today, some people will say Jesus is my Savior. Some people will confess that Jesus is my friend. You'll hear Jesus was a good teacher, or Jesus was a prophet, or Jesus was some holy man. Uh, Jesus was some guy who showed us how to live this minimalistic life where you live basically on nothing. Some say Jesus was a wise sage, man of wisdom. Um, many people today simply say Jesus is one way of many religious systems to God. And some even say Jesus wasn't real. And in Jesus' day, as you can see there, but in Jesus' day, people believed a lot of different things about Him. Uh, some of the negative things that people believed about Jesus in His day were He was a troublemaker, uh, you know, He was a blasphemer, that's what the Pharisees thought, even that He was working for Satan. Um, some people thought he was just an absolute nut. They thought he was a nutcase. He kind of lost his mind. Uh, some people uh, just simply saw him as this old country boy from Nazareth. And, you know, what good could come from there? One of his disciples even said that. Um, you know, people knew his parents and they thought, well, his, his dad's just a lowly carpenter. You know, what, what's special about this Jesus? Uh, but you see in Luke's account, uh, also, in Matthew and Mark, they all kind of have uh, their, their viewpoints on this situation, and they give different details. Matthew gives the most detail. Um, but there's also some more positive beliefs that were happening during Jesus' day. Um, as in, you can see here, some people thought that he was John the Baptist, kind of back to life. He was John the Baptist who had previously already been beheaded by King Herod. Uh, some people thought, well, this is John the Baptist who has come back. Uh, some people thought that he was the Old Testament prophet Elijah, that the Old Testament prophet Malachi prophesied about who would come back from the dead. 
and make the way for the Messiah. Some people thought Jesus was him. It was just Elijah who had come back to prepare the way. Um, And then you see in Luke 9 that some people thought he was one of the other Old Testament prophets who rose back from the dead. So it's obvious from the responses that the disciples are giving Jesus when he says, you know, who do these who do the people say that I am? Or what are they saying about me? What are these rumors? Um, it's obvious that people did recognize that there was something special about him. They did recognize that he was a great teacher. He spoke with authority. Uh, he was obviously working many signs and miracles. But you don't really see people confessing him as God in the flesh. You don't even really see people in these responses, especially recognizing him as the Savior or the Messiah. Um, but they had all these different ideas. None of them were really right. But uh, they, do, uh, they do have this opinion that he's got to be one of the prophets who has come back from the dead because only something that miraculous and a person like that could do the things that this Jesus person is doing. But the question that Jesus poses to the disciples, it goes beyond the answers that, that the people were giving you notice that Jesus doesn't even really entertain the answers that, that Peter gives him. You know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're another Old Testament prophet who's come back to life. And Jesus doesn't even really touch that stuff. He, he kind of goes around that and is like, yeah, whatever. Who do you say that I am? Disciples? And then Peter speaks up. And I got to thinking about that you know, why would Jesus sidestep that and not even really deal with those responses? Because he could have said, he could have flat out told them, you know, no, I'm not John the Baptist. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not these things. He just kind of sidesteps it and goes directly to that personal one-on-one question, who do you guys say that I am? Not what everybody else says. Uh, it's just interesting. And I got to thinking about that, and maybe it's, it's the situation where he's trying to get the disciples to truly confront and realize what it is they truly believe about Him. Uh, Do they realize what they believe? That's a great question, by the way, for us to be asking of our teenagers and our junior high and even even our kids who are in church with us. Um, They they need to confront that question, which we'll talk about here in a second, but... Uh, do you really know what you believe about all this and do you really believe it? Maybe even some adults need to ask that question. But just a couple things to, to see here to notice based on these responses and what Jesus asked. It isn't enough to believe that Jesus is some resurrected or in, in reincarnated prophet. Jesus you know, pushes that aside. That's not enough for salvation. It's not enough to believe that He's someone special. A lot of people out there today in the world and in our culture, believe that Jesus was some special person. But that doesn't save you either. It isn't even enough to believe that He's a special teacher that was sent from God because even the Pharisees, uh, you know, you see in John chapter 3, Nicodemus even recognized Jesus as being a teacher sent from God. And he said the Pharisees thought the same thing. That's not enough. So Jesus, you know, again, He bypasses those responses. He goes directly to the disciples and ask, who do you say that I am? And it's the same question that you and I must answer. And many of you out there watching, at least I know within our church, have answered that question. But we always want to be sure, the Apostle Paul tells us to check our heart, be sure that we are in the faith, 
And it's always good to ask ourselves this question, who do we really say and believe Jesus is? So let's first look at um, these answers that weren't good enough. So verse 19, some say you were John the Baptist. Why would people think that he was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist uh, was the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. Uh, in Malachi chapter 4, it was foretold that, um, that one like Elijah would come and he would prepare the way for the Messiah to come in. And so the people were not only taught, but they believed themselves that Elijah would come back and then Elijah, when they recognized him, he'd be the one to prepare the way. He would be the one preaching and, and, and preaching uh, that the, the Messiah was coming. And they knew the Messiah was near. And they had this belief that the Messiah would then be this military conqueror. He would be this military king. He would ride in like King David, and he would wipe out the Roman Empire. He would reestablish the Israelites as the premier world kingdom and then established them as the world rulers. And so that was the picture that the Jews had of who the Messiah would be. John the Baptist, they all knew it wasn't him. Uh, John the Baptist was a really weird guy. Uh, he did a, a lot of what he did was, uh, was much like how Elijah was in the Old Testament. Uh, he dressed in camel's hair. Uh, he ate uh, wild honey and locusts. It was this weird diet. Uh, he, he was all hairy and everything, and he just, he wasn't like everyone else. And so people knew there was something different about him. Uh, but also, John the Baptist was the first prophet to proclaim uh, the Word of God to the people for over 400 years. That 400-year period is called the intertestamental period. So what that means is, is between the Testaments. So at Malachi, the last Old Testament book, it ends with a curse from God on judgment for the people for rejecting Him. You have 400 years of silence from God. No prophets, no more word, nothing. 400 years of God being silent because He's judging His people. And then when the 400 years is up, John the Baptist shows up. And he begins preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. You need to repent. And he's the one prophesied to lead the way for the Messiah to come. So why would people think that Jesus, because they, they answered, well, some say that you are John the Baptist uh, back from the dead. Uh, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. And so Jesus was not the guy that everybody thought the Messiah would be. There was nobody that believed at the start that he was the Messiah. Uh, they saw the signs and all that. They saw the miracles. Uh, they heard the preaching with authority. But he was a lowly carpenter he was a country boy from Nazareth he didn't go through the whole Pharisees education uh, he wasn't the he wasn't in the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin so he wasn't a religious or civil leader uh, he just was just a normal looking guy as we're told uh, in, in the Old Testament prophets there wasn't anything special about him in his appearance and people were expecting a conquering king so People saw this special stuff he was doing and the authority he was teaching with, but he didn't look like a king. He didn't look like a military hero. And so they thought, well, this guy must be John the Baptist who has come back to life and he's preparing the way for the Messiah. So we're going to watch him. And then when he's done doing his thing, then we'll know the Messiah is coming. So again, there's that idea that he's not the Messiah. Wrong answer. We move on. 
Um, and, and Jesus even corrects this and makes plain that this is wrong. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 15, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John the Baptist, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus goes back to the Old Testament prophecy, and he says, John the Baptist is the forerunner. Who are you going out there expecting to see? Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you were willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus makes it plain to the people, I'm not John the Baptist. John the Baptist is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one that Malachi told us about, who would prepare the way. He would be Elijah who would come back, and he would be the one who, like Elijah, would prepare the way for the Messiah. I am not John the Baptist. He is John the Baptist. And so he makes that plain. So this first idea that he's John the Baptist is a wrong belief. What's the other claim? Verse 19, well, some say you're Elijah. So why would people think that? Uh, Elijah is, is widely known as probably the most uh, powerful uh, of all the figures in the Old Testament. He's the most powerful prophet. Um, Moses, likely the most influential figure as people see him, but Elijah is seen as the most powerful prophet in the signs and wonders that he did. Um, so, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, this prophecy that I keep referring to says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And when Jesus came, he was bringing the kingdom uh, and the kingdom message. He was bringing the gospel, but it was also time of great judgment. He had come, and he had come to preach the kingdom of repentance. And if you do not repent and believe, hell is your destination. And that would have been a very dreadful day. He calls out the Jewish religious system. He constantly called out the Pharisees, told them they were wrong. It was a dreadful time for the Jewish people and the religious elite when Jesus showed up. But nonetheless, Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come back and he would prepare the way. And John the Baptist was that guy. He was not Elijah reincarnated. He was like, it was in the same manner, he was like Elijah come back as the prophet who had broken the silence of 400 years. So when Jesus starts performing all these miracles and signs and wonders and he's teaching with authority, he's doing a lot of the same stuff that Elijah did in the Old Testament. And, you know, apparently a group of people at least in the community remembered, well, John the Baptist is dead. Their minds went to, well, he must be the, the Elijah that is talked about in Malachi. And so Jesus, you know, again, he doesn't look like the king. He doesn't look like a military conqueror. He doesn't look like King David at all. 
Uh, he's just like a regular guy doing all these mighty, powerful, authoritative things. So he must be Elijah. So when he's done doing his thing, then the Messiah is going to come. So again, they have a different idea of who he is, but it's still the same result. They don't believe he is the Messiah. They don't believe he's the God-man. They don't believe he's the Savior. Wrong belief. They are uh, destined for hell if they don't change that and repent. And so again, it doesn't matter if they say he's John the Baptist. It doesn't matter if they say he's Elijah. They're still wrong. So the, the last claim in verse 19. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. But the people, other people would say, well, maybe he's one of the other prophets. Uh, others say you are a risen Old Testament prophet. And this falls in line with a, a lot of what people say about Jesus today. Uh, he's just a good teacher and a prophet. We acknowledge he has power. We acknowledge he had authority. We acknowledge that he taught this different way of life. But he isn't the Messiah. He certainly isn't God. He's just, he's just a man. Um, and this is, this is a popular belief with a, a lot of different religious systems out there um, who recognize Jesus but don't recognize Him as God and do not recognize Him as the Savior. And uh, Jesus says, it's wrong. He just disregards that answer completely. And so he disregards all of that after Peter gives him those answers and he gets to the question, who do you say that I am? And so the first thing that uh, you know, we're taking a couple of notes here and then we'll be done with this message. So since Jesus doesn't even deal with those answers, He just blows them off and gets to who do you say that I am, here's the first thing that we learn from that. So if you're taking notes, number one, what others believe about Jesus is irrelevant in your salvation. What matters is what you believe. So again, one takeaway we have from this is what others believe about Jesus is irrelevant in your salvation. What matters is what you believe about Jesus. So in other words, put it to you like this, other people can't believe for you. And maybe this will help clear this up even further. Your grandparents' salvation is not your salvation. Your parents' salvation is is not your salvation. Your family, your, your brothers and sisters, your siblings, their salvation is not your salvation. Going further, your tradition and your tradition's salvation is not your personal salvation. Your church's salvation is not your salvation. Your culture's salvation is not your salvation. Your spouse's salvation is not your salvation. And the last thing that I want to be sure and point out, Parents, your salvation is not your children's salvation. And again, what I mean by all of that and what we take away here from what Jesus is teaching, other people can't believe for you and you can't believe for other people. What other people do and decide and say about Jesus is irrelevant. It's your own personal belief and decision. And the key is, do you believe the right thing about Jesus? has to be done by you, has to be believed by you. It doesn't matter what anybody else believes or says. And you can't pass your belief and your salvation off to other people and off to your kids. It's a personal decision. So that 
gets us to this point. Salvation comes from a personal decision to repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Salvation comes from a personal decision to repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And I bring this up all the time, but again, this also goes with just because you were born into a Christian family, just because you've always been in church your whole life, just because you give of your tithes and offerings or you go on a mission trip or because you read the Bible or because you pray regularly or because you like to sing Christian songs or maybe just because you like good vibes and you like doing good things for people, none of that saves you. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's not of your works, so that none of us can boast. It's by faith and it's a personal decision. Nobody can do it for you and you can't do it for anybody else. It's your own personal decision. So what other people believe and say doesn't affect your salvation one way or the other. So Jesus was making it clear that not only were the popular opinions of the people wrong, but that one's faith in Him must be a personal thing. Nobody can do it for you. Saving faith isn't passed down. It's not transferred by blood or relatives. And it's not transferred by relationship. It is personal, one-on-one. You must make the decision to repent and believe or not. So what does Peter's response reveal then? This will be number two. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And in verse 20, Peter says this. He kind of speaks up for everybody. He said to him, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. This is our last point right here. Number two, what we learn from this encounter. We must personally believe Jesus is the Savior and God in the flesh for salvation. We must personally believe Jesus is the Savior And that includes believing that He not only died, but resurrected to life. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. But we must also personally believe that He is God in the flesh for salvation. They may ask, well, how do you get that from His answer, the Christ of God is who He says Jesus is? Peter's response is simple, but it's the correct one. So I'll give it to you like this. Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ is the key. So Christ, you know, we say the name Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. You can probably notice in the Old Testament and in the Bible in general, you probably notice in the Bible that you, you really only see people's first names. You don't see last names, kind of like what we have in our society. You, you'll have somebody's first name, but then you'll have a descriptor uh, behind it. So like you'll have Simon, son of Jonah, or you'll have Saul of Tarsus. It'll identify where they're from or identify who they're connected to in their family, who their father is. And that's generally what you see in the Bible. Uh, you don't really see last names. And so Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's His identifier. Christ means Messiah or the Anointed One. So when, Paul, when Peter here says, you know, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. What he's saying when he says you are the Christ, or when they call him Jesus Christ in other places, uh, what he's saying here is, is Jesus Christ means God with us, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, the Anointed One, or the Messiah. So that's what 
when we say Jesus Christ, or we say the Christ, we're calling him the anointed one. So Peter's confession here is you are the anointed one of God. You are the proclaimed Messiah. You are the prophesied Savior that we were told about. That's the right answer. And when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying God with us is what his name means, and he is the anointed one. Jesus, he was God in the flesh. God come, God come down in the second person of the Trinity. He was born to the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, and God took on flesh, God with us. And then the identifier, Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So Jesus Christ means God with us, the anointed one. So we're going to end with this. Notice Jesus' response to Peter's response. It's very crucial because Jesus, this is where Jesus is revealing that this is the right answer. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is coming... Uh, coming from Matthew's account. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That's the identifier. Simon was his other name before Peter. But Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, which means little rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here's Jesus' response to Peter saying, you are the Christ of God. And this is the key. This is how we know that Peter had the right answer. Verse 18, look very closely here. Jesus says, and you are Peter... And on this rock, I will build my church. Now this verse here still causes uh, discussion and even argument today on exactly what Jesus was talking about. For, for the Catholic faith, uh, this is believed to be the verse where the line of the popes began. Where, where Peter is seen as the first pope and Jesus is building the church upon Peter. And so Peter being the first pope, uh, he starts the line of popes and now the church is built upon the leadership of the popes. And that's why in, in Roman Catholic teaching, the pope is seen as the very voice of God and whatever he says is taken as God's word. You can't defy it. You can't change it. You must abide by it. And that is a very wrong teaching. It's incorrect. If we get the whole context, we remember that Jesus has asked them, what have people said about me? They give them these answers. Jesus just sidesteps those and says, what do you say about me? And Peter confesses in faith, you are the Christ of God. And that's when Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. On what rock? The confession of Peter. The faith. The faith is what Jesus is going to build His church upon. And the idea is, well, who is the, faith, who is the object of the faith? Because that's the key. That's the key foundation. Well, Peter confessed you were the Christ of God. You were the anointed one. That is how we'll build my church. 
to the confession that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior, and that's how the church will grow. That is how I will save people, is through that confession right there. And Peter, or Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter, on that rock, on that firm foundation, Jesus called the cornerstone, on that firm foundation of faith in me, I will build my church. Good job, Peter. So in other words, what Jesus was saying is on this confession that I am the Savior, I will build my church. So I'll wrap it up like this. What we learn from this you know, short encounter. Who do you say that Jesus is? Salvation is by Christ alone through faith alone. It is a personal decision that must be made by everyone. What other people say and do regarding Jesus do not affect your salvation in any way. It's a one-on-one personal decision that you must make. You must admit that you are a sinner and realize that about yourself, that you have no hope of saving yourself. Your good works won't cut it. You must repent, turn away from living for yourself, and turn away from wanting to be a continuous sinner, and turn to Jesus and, and trust Him, not only for forgiveness, but trust in Him as being the Lord and Master of your life, and He promises to forgive and save you. And that's how we'll close the days with the same question that Jesus gave the disciples that day. Who cares what everybody else says and what everybody else believes? Who do you say Jesus is? If you've already answered that question correctly, that He is the Messiah, He is the Savior, He is risen again, He died for my sins, and He's Lord of my life, I've repented and put my trust in Him in that way, then you've made the best decision that, and the most important decision that you could ever make. If there's any of you out there today, if I ask you that question, who do you say Jesus is, and you have not answered correctly, or today you realize, I, I now have the answer, I want to repent and believe in Jesus the Messiah, then today is the day to do that. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and He promises to save you this day.